This is the Major. This is Joe Turner. Identification? My name is Turner. I work for you. Now listen. Identify yourself. What is your designation? Uh, Condor. Something has happened. Section 9, Department 17. The section's been hit. What level? What level? Level of damage. Everybody. Dr. Lapp, Janice, Ray, Harold. Everybody is dead. What is it? What is it? Are you damaged? Damaged? No. Are you armed? Identify the armament. It's a 45 automatic. Will you guys bring me in, please? I'm not a field agent. I just read books. This is the panic office. Section 917 may have been hit. Hit confirmed. It was a quality of work. Clean, fast, first rate. Except the Overlook 1 item. You say one of my people is still okay? Condor, you know him? No. This is the Massive Cinema Cast. My name is Joachim. And my name is Tom. And today we will be talking about Three Days of the Condor. It was based on a novel uh, written in 1974. Uh, but this film is a very loose adaptation from what I could gather. Um, well, the original, the, the, I think the novel is actually called The Six Days of the it, Condor. Yes. Which I don't <laughs> quite understand so, that need. but Definitely. Uh, it's The only thing they kept is the killing of Turner's colleagues, uh, the abduction of Kathy, and the fight with the postman. Um, the rest of it is pretty much changed. Uh, I think in the book, the MacGuffin was uh, drugs being run through CIA channels. Um, but the movie is, I think it's far more interested in turning it into a sort of political thriller than the sort of action-y book uh, plot. The Three Days of the Condor, I, 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 there's a whole kind of the 70s uh, paranoid thriller mm. film. And it, it starts with Clue, which is one of my favourite films, actually. I've kind of watched it a couple of times mm. since we were going to kind of go into this episode. And I was really, really kind of like, I was so taken with it again. And they all come out, they're all born from the whole Watergate scandal. Yeah, The world is a very dangerous place. And what these films do is they make it about the familiar. They make it about what's going on outside your front door. Mm. If you think about the thriller now, we think about kind of like the Bourne films and this kind of kind of globe trotting, everything kind of people hanging out of helicopters, you know, Mission Impossible and all this kind of thing. And the, these paranoid thrillers from the 1970s are a completely different kettle of fish. They're more like, they have more in common with something like Rosemary's Baby. Mm than they do anything where the phone ringing is something to be terrified by. Something written down on a piece of paper is something to be scared of. And Three Days of the Condor kind of comes, I think, when we've had the, the very best films of this cycle. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking of like The Conversation, uh, The Parallax View, Possibly, I think, and like Serpico, that kind of thing. And, and we, we kind of arrive at the three days of the Condor. And it feels like a huge film in a way, because it deals with things like the CIA and stuff that's going on in the Middle East. And it does feel... I'm not sure it's one of the best of these type of films. And I personally find it a very, very confusing film. Hmm. And quite hard to understand. But it's it's still in that kind of like 70s over of these kind of like we're kind of doing things differently. You know, it's the the pin. It's the best part of American cinema and all that kind of thing. And to me, I think the Three Days of the Condor 
is an extremely interesting, if very flawed film in many respects. I, I This is the third time I've watched it and I'm still not sure how I really feel about it. Hmm. I'm, I'm a big fan of this film. Uh, I'm a massive fan of these sort of spy political thrillers. And you could argue that like these politically oriented paranoia films, they were there before Watergate in like Manchurian Candidate and Invasion of the Body Snatchers and all these sort of 50s and 60s films. But they kind of morphed into these super spy films. Uh, well, I think I, I think those films which you're talking about, mm-hmm. that's always the existential threat. That's yeah. that's the Chinese and it's exactly this, you know, these AD aliens. These ones are slightly more. Th- th- these ones are local. It reminds me of yeah, it, it's local and it's like the people who you think are there for you, mm-hmm. the people who you think you've got your back, the government, these intelligence agencies, the police. Actually, they haven't. They're the ones who you should be really scared of, and it's exactly what happened mm. with nine eleven. Um, you had this whole kind of like the cycle of the 9-11 film like I mean series is like 24 the second series of 24 which is one of the best pieces of television ever made could only have been produced in the post 9-11 era Hmm. this idea that they're there they're out to get us and it's them it's the people who are supposed to be our protectors are the ones who are after us Hmm. and these 70s ones they channel that they're all about, I mean, Watergate was the scandal, the political scandal of the century. You, you had literally the president of the United States who was paying a bunch of thieves to spy on his opposition. You had the Pentagon Papers coming out at the time that showed that even in the earliest days, the people in, who were really campaigning for the Vietnam War, like the Robert McNamara's, knew it couldn't be won. And there's just this kind of total distrust of the government that, is fermented from all these types of going-ons. And The Three Days of Condor is, is one of those films mm. where it's the CIA, it's not the KGB who are after him, it's the CIA, it's, the, it's his own team that are trying to kill him. Mm. And that's why I think these, these films are ultimately slightly more scary yeah. than the, the, the kind of the Manchurian candidate types. Yeah, I absolutely agree. They're, they're hit closer to home and they sort of force you to take a more look take a closer look at your your home basically your your own nation your own government um you could easily or i could easily imagine this film as a sort of hitchcock romance film with Cary grant in the lead where the romance is in the forefront and then the political stuff is the backdrop but in these sort of 70s films it feels like they are pushing every every political theme in the forefront, and all of those sort of Hollywoodized uh, relationship stuff they are put in the back burner, so to speak. I, I actually this film actually reminds me of North by Northwest. Yes, I was thinking about in a that. Very, yeah, in a very um, in a very not in the least bit like North by Northwest way in terms of its scale. Mm. Um, I actually think it, it really does remind me of that because what these like the opening of this film is actually brilliant and it it, it tells you everything you need to know which is that you have this this character played by Robert Redford who's kind of goofy Mm. who isn't who's like he's a bit clumsy 
and he walks into this innocuous building and then you see someone in the car who's watching him and you find out his name because this person's checking it off on a list and he's got a picture of him and it suddenly builds up this idea of something being extraordinary mm. yet very there's something very banal about it just a street an office building and he walks in and you know that this guy is someone who's someone who is important he has a job that and we, we can get to that in a little bit but he has a job which is obviously putting him in a little bit of danger and he's got this power watching him and all that kind of thing and it's again it comes down to that idea that he could be anyone he could be you he could be the, when you go to work tomorrow morning on a monday and you're walking through wherever you work whatever city it may be he's someone that could be walking past you and that is ultimately terrifying mm. that you could be suddenly your world can be turned upside down and it, it, it's so banal isn't it he nips out he's literally the guy in the office who has to nip out and get the sandwiches for <laughs> Hey, thanks, Pierre. How's it going? Terrific. I'm building up a great collection of rejection slips. Yeah, I know the feeling. I always wanted to be a Scoffier. Well, maybe it's not too late. You know, Van Gogh was 30 before he started to paint. No kidding. There's no mayonnaise on Dr. Lapp. On the other hand, Mozart was three when he started to play the piano, and he was composing at six. Fast started. Probably better. I don't know. Van Gogh never sold a painting in a whole lifetime. And Mozart died a pauper. What am I, then? You own public library? Hey, that's a very bright man. It's very educational. That's why I come in here. You come in here to get sick, just like everybody else. <laughs> hey, come on. Huh? Hey, no butter on Ray's sandwich. He gets very panicky about butter. Which I really like yeah. as well. I, lo I love that. So, I mean, it just reminds me of my daily routine. Yeah. It's, it's, it's incredible that this movie is 45 years old and it feels so incredibly relevant we were talking about 9 11 uh, earlier and it feels so believable in the plot uh, and that is quite a scary thing that they they seem to hit um a level of reality that is uncanny uh, when you watch it today um but it, it's because it's it doesn't have people dangling off buildings yeah and it doesn't have these sort of huge moments. We talk, we, we talk about North by Northwest, and I think we we both know what we're talking about. Yeah, exactly. When we say that we're talking about it's just, it's just a normal person. You don't have people being chased by crop dusters or anything <laughs> and dangling off, you know, Lincoln's nostril. Yeah. But it's that because it, it takes place in the streets, it takes place in people's houses, and again, that's another factor of these seventies paranoid paranoia thrillers. Mm. Is that they take they take place in a world you understand. They actually invade the privacy of your house. Suddenly, you know, your house is supposed to be your kind of place of comfort, of safety, of solitude. Mm. And what these films do is they go into those places, and suddenly, the Amazon man knocking at the door to deliver my package earlier mm. is going to suddenly karate chop me <laughs> in the throat and then try and kill me for reasons that I don't possibly understand. And that's what happens in these films mm. and it's why i think you feel you react to them viscerally because you recognize that there's nothing extraordinary about what you're seeing in terms of its location and it, there's also the a big part of the appeal is the fact that not only does it play in our homes but the home that it represents it's sort of a metaphor for our own nation in that we we feel safe in our society we feel safe in this western world and the cost of that feeling is something that we don't really want to deal with basically and we are forced to deal with it through 
the secrets that are coming out in this film. Yeah, it, it's it's in the, in the case of the three days of the condor, it's. I, I mean, he's this analyst for the CIA, and there's almost like there's no. There's no greater meaning to what he's doing. No. For the fact he he just tips up to work, and he he does all this, and suddenly like geopolitics become like macro mm. in their importance to his life and i think that's one of the reasons why i mean we, we obviously get into it in a minute but i i think it's one of the sort of the the reasons why i think the, the character is so sympathetic in that regard mm. hq at langley said there's nothing from any other intelligence source to support your theory is this your idea of working on that book? I have it on the computer by four. We have people to service these machines. These things are really pretty simple. They just look complicated. Mr. Turner, I wonder if you're entirely happy here. Within obvious limits, yes, sir. Obvious limits? It bothers me that I can't tell people what I do. Why is it taking you so long to accept that? Well, I actually trust a few people. That's a problem. I believe it's your turn to bring in lunch. What time is it? 11.22. It was the first role that he played where it was in this sort of espionage thriller genre. Um, another one that really stands out for me, and because he went on to play quite a few of those roles, but Spy Game is another one that is really memorable for me. But I, I, I really like Redford in this film where he manages to capture that that fumbling yet trusting, intelligent, bookish type character. At least in the first half he's that. In the second half he becomes much more like driven and active. But well, the moment for me that really gets his character is when he walks into that kind of the scene in the office where everyone's been murdered, mm-hmm. and he picks up the gun from behind the uh, the. the it's in the desk and he doesn't know how to handle the gun yeah. it's like oh Christ what's this and like I mean I, I've, I've just actually done an episode on the living daylights where I was talking about how in that film you see Bond with a sniper rifle mm-hmm. and he takes the rifle and building it and he's kind of like checking the chamber and he's looking at the ammunition that's going into it and it's someone that's completely in control of what they're doing mm. he knows how to handle weapons he knows what they're doing with him and in this uh, he picks up that pistol and, and he, he doesn't even point it correctly. He just, obviously the weight of the gun has surprised him. He doesn't know how to handle it. He doesn't know really to check that there's a bullet already in the chamber. And it's just really awkward. And you know that, that as soon as you put him into that situation of danger, it's a completely foreign territory for him. And what it does is it makes you feel that he's vulnerable. And you see the fact that he's not in control of the situations. You can tell that he doesn't know what he's doing. And I think subconsciously or not, you're looking at those types of moments where you start to worry for him because he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to react. And there's that brilliant scene where he's on the phone and he's talking to the guy who's like the controller. Yes. And he's like, you know, the guy's like, what's your, what's your name? And he's like, oh... Condor and <laughs> yeah, and, it, and it's like who 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 who's and he's like trying to go through his code names, and you know this guy's probably it's like when you have a fire drill at work, and they say to you like you you got to do this. I've been in a in a building where a fire's broken out, and trust me, all that orderly leaving bullshit goes out the window. You just run as fast <laughs> as you can. Just like panic kicks in, you just 
kick people out of the way and you're out the door. And it, it, it's like that. And he brings that vulnerability to it, which I think makes him so sympathetic. Turner, I work for you. Now listen. Identify yourself. Uh, well, I don't. What is your designation? Uh, Condor. Section nine, Department seventeen. The section's been hit. What level? What level? Level of damage. Everybody. Doctor Lapp, Janice, Ray, Harold. Harold was in the. Uh, uh... Are you in a company line? No, no. I'm in a phone booth. I'm. I'm just a block away. I'm in the street. You're in violation of secure communication procedures, Condor. Listen, you son of a bitch. I'm telling you, I came back with lunch and it was raining and the whole house was murdered. Everybody is dead. Right. Has the incident been discovered by anyone outside the company? I don't. I don't know. I don't think so. Are you damaged? Damaged? No. Are you armed? I don't, I have Mrs. Uh, I don't, can't remember her code name. Nightingale. She was afraid of being raped. She kept a gun. I've got the gun. Identify the armament. It's a 45 automatic. Will you guys bring me in, please? I'm not a field agent. I just read books. Leave the area. All right, well, well do I come into headquarters now? Negative. Find a secure location. Where? Avoid any place you're known. Do not go home. Do not go home. Surface again in two hours and call the major. That'll be 14.30, your time. Wait, wait a minute. All right, 2.30, right? Now walk away from the phone. Don't hang it up. Robert Redford is an actor who I think... He's a movie star in the truest sense. He's ridiculously good-looking. He's unbelievably cool. But he can also just take a step back, I think, from... Like it's like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Mm. He's the supporting man in that, but he's still great in it. Yeah, and he's still the man in it. And I think he he's just so natural as a film star, mm. and his persona is so honest. And it's just you just believe him. Mm. I think, and, and I think in, in this film, I think it's that that makes it so compelling. Well, his character anyway. I think he. The film sort of relies on his acting ability because it's the movie is unpacked very, very gradually and there's no sort of really any action-packed scene. So it's reliant on these smaller character moments that he is constantly giving us where you can see that he's thinking, he's frustrated, he's scared. And that tension that we were talking about, that chilling, chilling air that creeps in when it slowly reveals how, like, business like this whole killing affair is i mean he he epitomizes sort of that that thinking actor where you can you can sort of understand his mind game even though he doesn't always tell it to us he he manages to portray it through his uh, body movements and through his facial movements it's really interesting you should say that because i've just been watching before we went into this i was watching all the president's men mm. And there's a scene where there's, there's lots of scenes in All the President's Men where Robert Redford's on the phone and it's just a like really kind of close up and you just look at his eyes mm. and it's like they're done and he's, he's asking these questions and you can see him thinking through his eyes 
they're darting from left to right they're up and down he kind of he 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 looks like every time every time someone speaks to him he's trying to sort of deconstruct what they're saying so he can kind of get to where he needs to be and in this it's little things like that scene where he's got fade anyway he's like i need to sleep yeah i just need to sleep and he's he, he grabs her and he he kind of like positions her arms so if she tries to get up she'll wake him up in, in that situation and you you're so on edge and you so don't know what's going on but you just have to do this very basic thing which is i need to sleep mm. and it, it for me it's so i, I mean I, like I say, I, I think it, it hinges on his performance, this film, and I, I go along with it totally. Hmm. I mean, Pollock's... He, Sidney Pollock, he is... He is a workman-like director for me. He he knows what the story is. He, he makes it very much like no frills, very clean. He manages to make it a very tense movie, um, but it's a very, like, assured direction. I'm very... I feel at ease and I feel safe when his movie is in the credits because I know that I'm getting a well-made film, basically. Um, he, he's an incredibly consistent director, uh, perhaps never reaching the highest of highs, but I'm, I'm very seldom let down when I see his films. I think it's actually the fact you can say that, I actually think is a credit to him. Yeah. Because oh, yeah, yeah. That I was a compliment. I don't, yeah, I don't think it's... Like, when you think of, like, the directors, you always think of, like, your Stanley Kubricks and your Martin Scorsese's and your Tarkovsky's, and you inv- invariably you're drawn to the ideas of style. And for directors like Sidney Pollock, they, they like, they shepherd you, mm-hmm. I think, incredibly well. Films like um, Tootsie, yeah. for example, which is, I mean, it, it has its moment. Tootsie's, like, it's slightly dated now, Tootsie but it's still a pretty great film. And again, it's not flashy, it's not showy, it's not... It does what it says on the tin, I think. It it kind of... It's a comedy where it lets the story tell itself. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what he does. I mean, The Way We Were, which is another one of my... A a film of his, which will be obviously another... um, Collaboration with Robert Redford and Barbara Streisand... Um, the thing about the way it worked, he he like he also seems to know when he's working with stars, and knows how to shoot them. You know, mm. he knows how to let them be the film. Don't, have you ever seen Jeremiah Johnson? Yes, I love that film. Yeah, yeah. And again, it's another one where he he he, he has a way, and I I, I think like I don't I don't want to sort of do him a discredit and say like his work been like or anything like that. But I mean, in, in that he it, he doesn't really he doesn't really push himself in the forefront. That uh, that's what yeah. I mean. He lets the craft speak for itself. Yeah, yeah. And this is a very very dialogue heavy scene. Yeah. It's a very character driven scene. It's an actor's film. Mm. One thing that I've been about this previously about the the sort of how Three Days of the Condor comes at the end of these sort of paranoia thrillers. And there is, when we are talking about Pollock now, we are talking about a man who is working with Hollywood stars. And that got me thinking about, you have this film that is dealing with these uncomfortable truths, but it is handed to us in a very 
like commercialized entertaining entertaining way it goes down pretty sweet <laughs> so to speak like we this unsettling truth that could be it could be a documentary it could be a story in the new york times but it is given to us as entertainment and it is perhaps a time when we believe more what we see on the screen perhaps more than our own government i don't know i, I really don't have a clear thought here but there's something about these uh, truths being told to us through culture and through uh, movies and entertainment rather than us trusting in them to come from the government well, so, well the weird thing is if you watch all the president's men mm. and it wasn't and it wasn't a true story it'd still be a really good thrill yeah. and that's what's terrifying and about these you know that the three days in the condor and i i, I suppose when it kind of leads me into really talk about like I still don't fundamentally understand like what the real MacGuffin conspiracy that's going on because I don't quite understand what his job is mm. in this film and, and this is my, my I think um, my, my, my main issue with the three days is, is that I think it's actually really complicated. I, I don't f fully understand what's actually going on in it. It, it. it seems like there's a kind of a lot of nefarious people sitting around talking about stuff, but it doesn't seem to kind of come back in a way that I, I, I t I'm, I'm totally down with in the fact that it, it's almost like the, the government's bad and this film's about it, but I don't understand quite what the story's about his job is to go through is to read books mm -hmm. and periodicals and I, 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 I can't make the leap to understand why the government are, tr are trying to kill him it almost seems like it, it needs for me it needs further exposition or yeah explanation as to what's what, what's going on I it it's almost like the film's premise is the government's evil. Mm. We're going to uh, here's this film about why the government, but it doesn't really quite. Un I, I don't quite understand the kind of the, the through line, as it were, as to why how we've got there. Mm -hmm. This condor isn't the man his file says he is. Then where did he learn evasive moves? He reads. He re what the hell does that mean? It means, sir, that he reads everything. I don't understand. Yes, very good. Operations got anything? Absolutely nothing, sir. Extraordinary. It's very well executed. Which requires planning, communications, tracks. I'm not asking for footprints, a blade of grass, a broken twig, something disturbed. Yes, sir. Wick seems to be all we've got. Where do we have him? We don't. I mean, we're, we're sort of told in a shorthand that he discovers this these involvings in the Middle East and the, the um, they're trying to take over lands with oil fields, but just yeah, connecting how he reads books and reports to the CIA um, and how that sort of leads to these discoveries of these oil fields, that is also a bit murky for me. That that old bit. Yeah, and it's like I said, like you know, it, it, I don't think it needs to be that complicated. No, no. Like I, I actually. I, I've, I've read a book once about the Cold War and there was like analysts who would go over they would literally read newspapers 
from either side like so you'd see it's say for example like the soviets executed three officers for i don't know like poor training of their troops or something like that and they would read this material and what they would look at it for was like well if they're executing troops if they're executing officers does that mean they're planning something Hmm. you know there seems to be like a logical excuse me there seems to be like a logical uh reasoning for doing this In, in in the three days of the condor it seems overly complicated to me because he reads books. He says that I am. You know, I'm, I'm a. I read book. I'm here to do that. I don't understand how he can suddenly work out that there's this plan to take over the Middle East contained within books. Mm-hmm. Or it, it's, it's never made clear to me. And this is one of my my issues with it was if you can do this whole the government's evil line, there's a, you can do it a lot easier than that. And I, I I think there's like a leap of logic that takes place that I don't get. When I watch it, and this is like the third time I've watched this film now, <laughs> and it makes me I, I, every time I think, well, really, mm. like, is that really the fact that? So, so he he's read this book that the secret plan to overthrow the Middle East is in this book, and it's like what? I, I, I still don't get it, and I I know, and I was actually hoping you could enlighten me on this and to sort of kind of point me in the right direction because I still cannot work quite work out, yeah, what is actually happening in it. So for, from what I gather, um, it's that he's reporting like stories and reporting the whodunits and reporting the facts of these books, and. I think it is a way for them to find out if there are leaks coming through the books to outside governments, to other nations, basically. And from what I can understand then is that the CIA thought that by him reporting this certain book, he knew that this was a plot that was taking place. Um, And then they decided that this material um, is too... Um, it's too dangerous to get out. So everyone there, even though they might not know anything, they need to die. I get the atmosphere and I yeah. get the paranoia and I get the thriller, but I don't quite, I, I'm still not quite comfortable with what's really going on, so to speak. Mm. For me, um, I, I, I don't understand really why this happens, but for me it's, I'm willing to let it go. I can, I can uh, let it be that MacGuffin and just under, uh, just appreciate that whole atmosphere as you've been talking about, and how this really is a film about trust and about the relation of trust when there is no right and wrong answer, and how can you trust anyone in that environment that is so riddled with lies? And I was also thinking about how. He sort of goes on this journey as as this innocent sort of fumbling uh, goofy child that uh, that finds out that his his protector his parent really isn't as good and as almighty as he once thought it was and he sort of grows up and splits from his own protector father whatever you want to call it um, this sort of journey that we all go on uh, where we find out that our parents aren't as great as we once thought they were. 
like we said at the start, he's that kind of like bookish wasp yeah. type person, and he and, and he, he has to grow up incredibly quickly. He becomes this and nihilistic, like, tragic figure that we all become. Yeah, and it and it's he's working for the CIA. Who does he think he's working for? Does he think this job that he does is kind of like con is? It, it, it's kind of like just this like kind of. He goes up there. We, he even says that I read books or something yeah. like that. But he must think there's a bigger reason for all this. Yeah. And like, like you say, I, I totally, I, I totally get what you're saying. It's like you watch a boy become a man mm. in this film, um, and it's the vulnerability, mm-hmm. and it's that that again. We, we talk about this kind of everyday scariness about this film, and it is that, that it, it's that watching the boy become a man, mm. and having to deal with the consequences of your life that happen very very quickly over the course of this film but it's for for me i I think when i i watch redford like you know like like we were saying is it is that vulnerability it's that 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 boy-like nature to him Mm -hmm. that he manages to possess and to communicate so well and and everything you were just saying then i think is kind of condensed into those that 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 look that Redford is able to communicate to us across the screen. It's a, it's a really, it's a performance-based film. Yeah. Like we, when we go back, we talk about Sidney Pollock, like standing out the way it's Redford's film. Mm-hmm. It's in the same way that, for example, the film Pattern is George C. Scott's film. It's just an actor's yeah. film. I, I think this is the embodiment of that idea. Yeah. Um. But I would I would argue that Faye Dunaway, even though her character is, it's a little uh, it's a little difficult to understand her character. But she does give a very vulnerable and very interesting performance. I think yeah, she does a lot with the character that she is given. Basically, your assignment for today was to go out and kidnap a girl. Look it up. Look it up. Ten tracks. Industries. Then look up the number for the CIA in New York. You mean they're listed like my Aunt Gladys? Under U.S. government agencies. Go on. Is this what you do? This photography? Okay, I... It's the same number. You could have had the card made... Yes, I could have made the card in the machine, but I didn't. Well, you really get into it, don't you? Sit down. I told you I had a friend. 15 and a half, 34. I dig 15 and a half, 34s. What size are you? What are you, a clown? I'm scared. So am I. What are you scared for? You've got the gun. Yes. Uh, trying to... She, ele- she, she elevates. Yeah. See, it becomes she... more than something... She becomes more than a chauffeur, basically. In a way, she's completely pointless. Yeah. In, in the film. Um, she, there's, there's no sort of... It, it's totally by chance. She, she's in the film to give it a love interest, basically. Yeah. And they, they kind of play lip service to this sort of idea that she's got this other fella on the outside and all that kind of thing. She's got to go and meet him. But Faye Dunaway, I mean, yeah. you, you go from like, I mean, like, I always think of Faye Dunaway in Network, where she's just this mm. absolute tyrant of a human being who's just going to chew through everyone to get what she wants. And in Three Days of the Condor, you don't have that. You have someone who's a lot more vulnerable, like him in a way. And you have to kind of take the leap of faith. But I really struggled 
again i don't know if it's in this kind of like hyper aware culture that we live in of like me too but i really struggled i think to get on board with their relationship yeah it seemed I, so phoned in mm. and it, it was it, it just it, it on, on paper it might have worked in practicality i'm just sat there thinking no this is ridiculous yeah they could have excised that whole section and it would have been fine it, it didn't really need a romantic angle though no. so no, no not in the least it, it just does it's completely pointless and it's because you have two beautiful people yeah. in the film and you it's it's almost like well they're they're so good looking and they're so beautiful that we have to have them kind of come together. But you did you didn't need that at all. No. I, I, it, it's strange as well because the poster for the three days of the Condor is is them two kissing. And that, it's a horrible poster. Domi- yeah, it's, that's the most dominant image on that poster. So it kind of sells it as this kind of like romance, but it's a romance that doesn't even need to occur. Yeah. It, it, it's totally it's bizarre and it and it's like I was thinking when I was watching that god awful sex scene where it kind of goes from them kissing and there's no, I mean, you can just tell there's no passion at all <laughs> between them. And it kind of cuts from like her photos. Yeah, to the benches. The camera, like, yeah. yeah, and you're like, well, come Good on, Lord. we're doing it. And you think if, if someone was out to kill me <laughs> and if I, if I was literally afraid of stepping into the street, I'm sorry, I, sex would be the last <laughs> thing on my mind. I'd be like, oh Christ, you know, if I walk out this door, some dude's going to, break my neck or something like that I, you know yeah, that's I, I just didn't... needs relief yeah, well, <laughs> well yeah there's, there's ways you can do that and you know like yeah it's just like thinking no i don't i don't get it. i i it took me out of the film yeah. i think those moments yeah absolutely it it pads it pads the film out more than it needs to be really um yeah and, and at two hours this is the other thing i was thinking about it this is a long yeah. it feels like a long film for its story yeah yeah, I was thinking when before I popped it in uh, before this recording, I thought that it was a like a one forty. That would be a hundred yeah. minute film. That would be quite perfect for this film. But two uh, like a two hour film, it's it feels a bit long. There's a, a couple of sections there where you think that let's move this along there. So, and the other thing is, well, the score isn't great. No, it really is film. And there was, <laughs> it was sort of like... But I, re- I really like it, how he, he doesn't use the score for a lot of the scenes where there is quite a lot of tension in the fighting and when he discovers... Oh, yeah, like, I the, mean... The um, killings and, yeah. He le- he lets it all play out in silence and I really like that. Yeah, like th- those um, those moments as well where, like, the, you know, the, the shootings, with the, the guns with the silences yeah. on. There's always something quite terrible, terrifying about them because they make this kind of like weird sort of like robotic-y kind of strange noise. But when you see like people like flying across the room because they've been obviously battered by these bullets, mm. it, I, I love all that kind of stuff. And that, that I mean, we, we joke about the Amazon man turning up, but that fight yeah. is legitimately really scary mm-hmm. because you kind of see him going, like they said, there's no music, there's no dramatic kind, the editing doesn't kind of going to step up. It's like, what would you do if someone breaks into your house? Mm. And then he's getting the fire poke out and he's trying to batter the dude and all that kind of stuff and things like that. Yeah, there's no kind of like fake. It, it, it literally, and that's that, that's why I'm going to get, it feeds into this idea that this is the terror that's out there just lurking behind because it's something like, yeah. oh shit, this guy's in my front room, I've got a bat room. Yeah. Jennings in the back. He'll sign for it. Just... Lena, 
Russell was the Kirkus report in this. I also really want to talk about Max von Sydow. Um, his, his suits this role so perfectly for me. He he plays this this icy, ruthlessly efficient character. Such um, there's such a like a dispassionate, ordinary nature about him, where you feel like he he is completely emotionless inside. He just does it for the money, and uh, when he has to switch sides, he does so. <laughs> My favorite line is, "You want to lift back to the station." Yeah. Exactly. It's just like, I, this guy, I was going to try and murder you earlier. I've shot your girlfriend. <laughs> I've just killed this guy. But do you know what? I'm on your team now. Do you want to lift back, yeah. mate? And there's something about that. You're like, you're on the list. Ma- <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, congratulations. I'm not going to kill you. <laughs> yeah. It's massively going to be, it's going to be really out of your way. Yeah. And it's like the, the fact that he has the brain power to actually sort of like, yeah, like contextualize what's going on and just go. Mm-hmm. Do you need to? Do you need to lift back? Yeah. Is that all right? Yeah, you know, you're right. And um, I mean, Max was that. I mean, anything he's in, yeah. he, that that guy just has. It's that voice as well, and, and obviously he has a an accent, but mm-hmm. you, you can never quite place. Like, you, you, I mean, obviously you might have a better idea of that being Nordic yourself, but he has an accent that you can't quite pick. You, you can't quite place. Mm-hmm. The assassination at the, the start of the film, and there's that girl, and he, he says something like, "Don't scream," yeah, and it keeps cutting to the gun, and he's like, no, "Don't make a scene, don't move away from I'm the like, window." Like, yeah, yeah, it's sort of like the "Don't inconvenience me. I don't want your blood on the <laughs> yeah. on the blinds. That's going to be really annoying." And, and then, yeah, he, he's great in it, and he's yeah. great in everything anyway. But he, a legitimately terrifying villain. Yeah, it's um. I suppose it's the DNA for something like No Country for Old Men. Mm-hmm. That sort of every day I'll just murder you for the for the sake of murdering mm. you type person. But yeah, I, I love him. Did you ever watch that? There was a series, a TV series that came out um, last year, uh, which was a remake of this film. Um, it was in eight episodes, I think. Um, no. But it, it was uh, I saw it um, in I saw it in the fall of last year. But it, it was it was all right. Um, but they changed the story a bit, where Sam, the, the friend character, he played much more uh, central role in the, in the TV series, where he was uh, uh, a bigger part of the conspiracy. Um, no, I've never, I've never even heard of it. Okay. To be really honest with you, no, that's interesting. Um, but it, it's worth checking out, I think, um, if nothing else, for just how they treat uh, this type of story. Um, yeah, it's, it, I mean, I, I actually love it when you watch. Like, I, I don't have an issue with like, um, you know, when you take like, for example, something like uh, the Wages of Fear, and then you make Sorcerer. Mm-hmm. I, I always think it's really interesting. When you see like two different takes on the same source material. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think it's like. In, you know, it, can be quite rewarding just having a look at what you know someone else is doing with it yeah redford's character he he also really reminds me of um like that classic jack ryan character um where i'm just an analyst i, I don't know how to do this field work and i feel like yeah he must have been a template for that that character yeah and it, and it's it's yeah it's the guy who um he, he could live next door to yeah. you and or above you, you know, in your flat, it's that type of. You take an ordinary person, you put them in this extraordinary situation, and that's where you have these types. And it helps, obviously, you have Harrison Ford yeah. and uh, 
Robert Redford in those lead roles. Hmm. Along with this film, it was the start of the blockbuster with Jaws. I think it came out the same year as this one. And this must have got lost in the shuffle. Um, These sort of... I mean, uh, this must have been one of the last few of these political thrillers that came out, along with All the President's Men, which came out later the same year, I think. Yeah, I think the, All the President's Men was like a few months later yeah. after this, yeah. I, I, it's, I, I think it was probably at that time when people were like, we've had enough of the misery. Yeah, we need more let's escapism. Get, let, 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 yeah, let, let's get on with the escapism and... It's yeah. If it's two years later, if this is nineteen seventy-seven, and you're thinking about this, I don't think this film would have been made. No. I, I can't see. I, I can't see an audience for it. I don't. Yeah, I, I don't think people would be down with mm. it. I think it just cl- clips that little part of. Um, there was another kind of leak, wasn't it? Like the Penskin papers. You had all these kind of like it, it was polit- part of the zeitgeist was this type of thing. And I think it just about clips that. Hmm. Um, but I, I think, yeah, if, if this is a few years later, you're struggling to get this film made. Yeah. I, I, I can't see how... I, it's just it's too much of a downer, mm-hmm. really. And it, I, I think people would be like, you know, it, it's just like smacking the... You know, it's again and again and again. We're, we're going down this route. Yeah. And it was always interesting as well. The other thing about this film as well was like seeing the World Trade Center seeing that New York which no longer exists mm-hmm. that was another thing I was really taken with because you know we talk about the post 9-11 film this is obviously a film taking place in a kind of a, in, in a in a New York that doesn't exist anymore mm. I didn't actually think about that um, when I watched it um, that sort of pre post 9-11 idea but now that you mentioned it it is it is an interesting it, it is a fascinating like it is a fascinating setting. They they moved it from Washington, from what I could understand. That in the book it is set in Washington, but they moved it to New York. But I don't know what the, if there was a like bigger thought behind it other than uh, Redford also wanted to shoot all the president's men soon after in New York. Um, well, I think if you put it in New York, as well, you put New York, yeah, um, in the kind of. Uh, in the new World Trade Center again, it goes back to the idea of like this kind of like the business link. Yeah, yeah that's true. Because I'm, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm pretty certain the CIA didn't have <laughs> headquarters in the World Trade Center. <laughs> it wouldn't seem the most conspicuous of places to you know set up shop. But it goes to that idea where, in, 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 in a, a, again, another thing I've noticed of these kind of seventies political thrillers is there's a lot of scenes of old men sat around tables, mm. kind of very. Uh, loosely talking about offing people like it's just a business meeting that they're having on a Tuesday morning mm. and I think it plays into that idea New York's essentially a place that we think of like commerce when we think of New York yeah. um, it's a place where kind of business is done and in this it's kind of the case of the business is well offing people you know and yeah. like you see it in the kind of the, the cleanup crew that go to the the, the building afterwards you know they just sort of they just start of randomly driving around the streets and like got a job on all right guys come on yeah i got six here should be seven it's like what you know what i mean like who's not dead right okay <laughs> you know we, we sort that out and it's just kind of like no one gives a shit it's this very 
very, like I say, it's very business-like what you see. Yeah. I really enjoyed how they play with the soundscapes as well throughout the film where conversations are played over very like monotonous uh, everyday scenes where you can overhear some of these conversations where we understand the code that they are talking about but if we didn't know what had happened it feels like everyday yep. conversations you could pick up anywhere yeah and it, it's yeah it, it's that um like it feels like blowout yeah exactly blow up and that kind of thing where if you if you're paying attention you can see it but if you're not you're completely oblivious to it and again it's like you could walk up, walk past a couple arguing on the street tomorrow and they could be arguing about how they're going to kill the dad for the money or something like that. Mm. And there's this like little hidden thing going on there. Mm. And it, it's this sort of underbelly. It's this, it's this underworld that you that's in plain sight, but you never see mm. it. Um, the transfer itself, what do you what do you make of it? Yeah, I, I, I think it's actually really good. I, 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 I remember having a HD DVD player for my old Xbox, mm. and Three Days of Condor was one of the first films that got put out on that. And okay. I, it's, I think it's struck from the same type of master, but I did definitely notice an improvement on it. I think it's a, it's, it keeps that. It looks very filmic. Yeah. I, I don't, it, it's a very, it's a. It's by, I had it on uh, DVD as well, and I did do it side by side, and it's definitely well worth the upgrade. Mm. And sound as well, especially, I thought, was, was really good on mm. this. Did you watch any of the, the extras? I think I've seen that director episode uh, a long time ago. Um, no, I didn't watch any of them, to be brutally honest no. with you. Um, the director's episode, it's like the run of the mill going through his uh, filmography. But um, he's, a, he's an eloquent speaker, Pollock. He always makes interesting comments about his own film, so it's well worth checking out. Sidney Pollock's a really interesting, um, like, kind of player in Hollywood as well. Yeah. Because he's... He always brings, like... I, I, whenever I watch him, like, in Eyes Wide Shut or something like that. Oh, I love him in that film. He's a, yeah, he's great in that. He, he's he's he, he, there's there's almost something called there's something that should be called the Sydney Pollock, <laughs> which he just you know like the agent in Tootsie or something like that, where he kind of he's just so good and so like commanding mm -hmm. and interesting, and it's he's not really playing any he's not playing a character. He just seems to be Sydney yeah. Pollock, and it, yeah, he's just yeah, it's it's really interesting. I, I've always like. He, he seems to be really... He, he deserves more love than he gets, I think, Sidney Pollock. Yeah, absolutely. He, yeah, it's like you said, he, he seems to be playing himself, but he's he's such an at ease in his characters that yeah. you totally go along with it and just really like him. <laughs> yeah, you, you can imagine him being a really cool guy as yeah. well. I think that's the other thing. Like, you know, it just seems... I don't know, it's just weird. I don't. And like I said, I, there seems to be a role which should be identified as being Sidney Pollock. <laughs> that's my... Okay, um, I don't think I have any more to discuss about three days. No? Um, uh, I think that I forgot to mention before, uh, when we started the episode was that Master of Cinema cast, they have, or Master of Cinema, they have uh, got a new webpage up. And I feel like perhaps are bitching about their website for four years. Finally paid off. <laughs> Hang on a minute. They... Um, let me, let me, let me yeah, I'm on it. Yeah. Hang on. 
It's not a huge revamp. Well, 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 firstly, I can see it. Yeah. I can see the text. Exactly. That's... And you can, you can sort films from release date and year. There's still yes. no spine uh, sorting, uh, which is odd, I think. Yeah, I think this is a WordPress template. If that's my... I think that I'm going to stick my stick my head out there and say I think it is definitely built on a WordPress template which might limit that type of thing but this is way better yeah. oh yeah yeah this is great so it's much more you can definitely see that they have yeah. put work in to clean it up basically and to yeah. sort things well, it out the, so. it, was, it was the text it was the, the you couldn't see it on the the, the, the the colours of the text and the background made it virtually impossible to read but no this is great yeah. um yeah, I'm all for this, for sure. There's also, um, I think they have a couple of offers going at the moment. We have two, two for twenty-five, two for 25 yeah. which are both, all of them are recent releases, actually. So it's a pretty good deal. Yeah. So. And definitely, there's been some like, um, there's been some quite interesting releases as well coming out as well, like the Holy Mountain and any room for yeah. style film, which really that's coming up in really June, I think. Yeah. yeah. Yes, really looking and, forward to uh, that. The white, yeah, the white reindeer, yeah. which just came through the post, which I'm really looking forward to watching as well because I've only heard good things about that. So. That's good. Yeah. One thing that I noticed when I was looking at the three days of the condor, um, the the cover is that it's a horrible cover. That's uh, certain. But I feel like in these days where you have these sort of boutique labels. Just wouldn't it be much more important to create your own like custom DVD covers or Blu-ray covers just to sort of stand out and sell your brand in a better way? Because I feel like Master of Cinema label, it sort of disappears in these where you have the... Co- On the shelf. Yeah. Yeah, it's... You have the, sp- you have the so, spine, I mean- of course, but uh, when you see the like the front covers... Yeah, I mean, my only my only answer to that is having you know working in design, mm. and, and that kind of thing. You're looking at like three thousand quid per per to cover. have someone. So, oh, to have someone come yeah. in and like if you if, yeah, you, if you want yeah. to do that, if you if you work you, know, if if you really want a decent looking piece of artwork, mm. like I mean, you are looking in the ballpark of that, yeah. and three thousand quid's a lot when yeah, you yeah. profit margins. If you're trying to flog, um. You know, a, a niche film. Mm-hmm. That's that's suddenly that's a lot of Blu-rays to sell yeah. to make up the cost for that. And I think it's a case of if you can get the original artwork. I I, I, I personally would just go with the original artwork. Yeah. That would be my that would be my kind of uh, uh, run on it. But there is that element. I think you have to kind of factor that in mm-hmm. where it. it there's a lot of yeah. You know, there's it's a lot of money. I mean, I mean, obviously we kind of like to talk about boutique labels, but things like kind of like Criterion and Indicator and Arrow, those guys do seem to have a little bit more behind them in terms of their financial punch. I yeah. Mean. And yeah, I, I I know what you're saying, but I'm also kind of like conscious. I can understand the reasoning behind. Yeah, it. absolutely. It feels like also that they are cutting down on releases, so maybe that's a sign that things are a bit tighter uh, than they have been. I think again, as I say, like 
there's this constant conversation about the death of physical media. I don't think I've not noticed the death of physical media. I think it's in terms of, like you say, like these boutique labels. I think it's doing more than mm. ever. There seems to be a, a, a truck ton of releases and a lot of people getting excited about them. And yeah, I suppose Master Cinema. Um, I, I always think about the Master Cinema as being like the UK's version of Criterion. Mm-hmm. That's how I see them. And yeah. I, I, it's a tight. I, I think the market has got a lot more competitive. Mm, yeah. For them, so it might be, and yeah, it's slightly harder to kind of pick up those titles. But um, it, it's certainly like no, yeah. We when we were kind of like doing a little downer take on it a few a couple of episodes ago. I think I'm I'm a lot more positive about on these recent slates of release, like one, two, three, the Billy Wilder film. Yeah that's just come along and things like that and like I said like the white reindeer the woman in the window the holy mountain I, yeah I, I mean I'm, I'm a lot more positive about what they're putting out yeah. exciting times ahead hopefully. hopefully great so I think we'll wrap things up um, you were talking about uh, recording uh, a bond episode what's going on with the 24 yes, frames I've just yeah I've just I've just put an episode about the last movie about um, and that's on the feed. If you want the Bond episode, um, the uh, the Living Daylights, that's on the exclusive page on the blog spot mm. on my sorry my blog. I won't be putting those out on the feed. But it's interesting going back to Bond. It's been a while since I've kind of gone on that mm. uh, the route of looking at those films, and it's uh, I actually really enjoyed going back to it. So yeah, it's it's all good. So um, yeah, you can find me on twenty four framescast.blogspot.com for that. Great. And you can find us at moccast.blogspot.com. Send us an email at mastersofcinemacast at gmail.com or you can subscribe to us at iTunes or any other podcast platform of your choice. So thank you for joining me tonight, Tom. Cheers, thank you very much. And thank you, listener, for joining in. And until next time.